Well, only um, one of us is uh, over 40, so. That's right, man. <laughs> it's a wonder. Is it, It's a little late for you, isn't it, to be up? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, what's going on? Hi, Casey. How you doing? Good. Sorry, my camera was off. That's all right. We like to leave it on, and if you do, great. If not, that's fine, too. It's just so you guys can't get away with anything while I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> You're not on YouTube watching, you know, cat videos all the time we're talking to each other. That's why we were a few minutes late, actually. <laughs> well, it's good to know it was productive time. Yeah. Yeah. So... We had a guest on fairly recently that admitted that it was controversial in the camp that he's from to uh, have people on or ha- be on a podcast with beer in the title. Is that is that going to be an issue for you? I don't think so. Um, but really, it's it's one of those things where there's only one way to find out. So that's true. You give it a go. That's no, true. I, I don't think that'll be a problem. But um, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, he was a, he was a great guy. I don't want to mention any names or throw anybody under the bus, but we didn't get any plugs from the parent group on Twitter when you do the usual like tweets and retweets promoting that the person was on and it was kind of radio silence and it kind of bummed me out. I'm like we're still uh, not, we're not past well, that stuff. Yeah, it it surprises me still the kind of stuff we fight about. And literally fight. Like it's not a Oh, you know, it's one of those things some people disagree on. It's still sticky in some places. Given everything else that's happening, that's that's kind of unbelievable. But yeah, or, I think we have some other battles to fight. I don't know. Maybe yeah. I'm mistaken. <laughs> yeah, it may or may not may not be a hill to die on, as it were. No. Yeah, we're a man down right now. He'll probably he's he got caught up in the nine to five over here, so he'll be be here in a little bit. But we can get started either way. So where are you guys located? We are in Orange County, Southern California. It was in Anaheim last summer. Oh, really? And that was the first, my first excursion into Orange County. And uh, I don't know about Anaheim. Yeah. I, there are parts. Yeah, we went down to Laguna <laughs> Beach and Huntington Beach, and that was all awesome. But yeah, Anaheim proper, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not, not always the best representation of what you would show your friends coming to Orange County. Anaheim does have a great uh, theme park though. It's, I've heard of it. It's yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a small little spot, you know, I hear I it's so a happy you, place. Man, I so thought you were going to go. It's a small world. Was gonna <laughs> but you didn't go there. That was good. I appreciate your restraint. <laughs> <laughs> how did the, how did your podcast adventure begin? How did you guys get started? drinking so our our main as guys we get together it starts out started out a kind of a home group type situation where the guys will meet one night a month the girls will meet one night a month and then we'll do a family night and so the guys will get together and have some beer and talk about life and have all the good deep conversations and uh 
argue about theology, you know, every, all that stuff. And so we thought it'd be great if we could share that with the entire universe. And so that's how we started kind of naively and a little bit narcissistically. And, uh, the, the beginning, the beginning is rough, but we're, we've come a long way. And a few of the guys, it was more of like a bigger group talking around just one microphone and it's slowly evolved to where there's three of us. And we kind of have different takes, different, uh, different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds and politics. And we just kind of wrestle over stuff, talk to cool people like you and hmm. all that stuff. So that's awesome. Yeah. Like it's turned in for me, it's turned into just getting, having people hear different people's stories and recognizing that, that God is always kind of bigger than what they were given. Cause I, I have a lot of personal, fairly recent experience with, uh, the questioning and the, the doubting and the deconstructing and then reconstructing at the same time and kind of piecing things back together and pushing on the walls a little bit, seeing, seeing what belongs, what can go, um, and what needs to shift and just having other people exposed to different ideas and realize that either they're not alone. And also if they've only been stuck in one narrow kind of lane in their faith or in their life experience, just to know that there's bigger stuff out there. Yeah. And that's okay. It's kind of, uh, as you were talking, I, I, something struck me. I hadn't thought about it, but it's sort of a dual blessing and concern. The blessing is we actually live in a time, maybe more than ever, where something like questioning and pushing and pressing against the walls, like you're talking about, it, it has a place in the public sphere as far as Christianity is concerned, like you can talk about that for the most part. I mean, there are still places where that's not safe. Mm -hmm. Um, there are roles when that, where that's not safe. It's, it's very interesting to hear, you know, I sat in, I sat in the chair I'm sitting in right now for like six months and wrote this book and didn't know what was going to happen with it. It finally went out, it did things and people responded to it. But the interesting thing to me was how, how many people said, wow, as a pastor, this is very, like you're asking a lot of questions and it had never occurred to me like, Oh, you don't expect that to come from this seat in the, in the whole pantheon of yeah. church stuff. And so I think there's a dual blessing is that there's, there's space for that. The concern is that it, it just continues to happen in places where it's not welcomed and it doesn't become the dialogue isn't welcomed. It becomes the person isn't welcomed. And right. uh, that's, that's a great poverty. Yeah, it feels like that can happen almost unintentionally. I, I, as I was, I have a few people that I'm real close with that I was sharing some of the questions that I was wrestling with, and everybody says, "Yeah, you, you, you should be asking questions. Yeah, keep asking the questions." But it was always followed with, "But be careful of that slippery slope." You know, it was it was almost like, um. So are you okay with questions or not? Because every time you say you're okay with questions, you come back at me with basically don't ask too many questions though. Yeah. And I think there's, there's kind of, that's kind of what you explore in the book. There's like this fear. It's, it's revealing of kind of a fear. And I'm, I got to the point where it's like, man, if that, if there's a slippery slope to get on, that takes me to a, a place that's a, a deeper truth. Um, then I don't see the problem with that. And, yeah, and I kind of, I kind of uh, embrace the the thrill of um, 
rebellion um, of newness. I mean, rebellion, not just to rebel, but rebellion against the masses um, because they, they do just kind of gravitate towards each other. Um, Sounds terrible. And, but (laughs) I mean, wasn't it Jesus who just stood apart from the rest and, and it's almost uh, a life to be lived that's very exciting. And to I kind of see like if if I could have lived back then to the idea of, of just jumping off a cliff in curiosity and then crawling back up and Jesus grabbing my hand and pulling me up and going, so did you find the answers? I'm like, I, I, I did. And I found que- I have more questions. And I mean, that's where I love to live. So seeing a pastor, you know, write a book of like, let's ask these questions, um, or I have more questions speaks to growth and growing and not being stagnant. And I love that. I love that about people who are just driven to just continue on and not just sit. And, and that just creates more conversation. And then we get to sit, yeah, with people like yourself who are just one of those people. Yeah. And I think the questions about what is church, I think it just continues to dig because some of it is church. I mean, the word literally means called out ones. It's, it's a group of people. It's a word for a group of people who are called out of something into something else. And so finding, trying to rediscover the vitality in that, like, what are we actually being called out of? Uh, and what are we being called into? The other thing is trying to di- trying to discern what is a helpful metaphor from the Bible that is still valid, and what is a metaphor that only makes sense in a certain culture and context that we need to find a new way to speak about. Because um, all those metaphors are going to hit a wall at some point. Right. I mean, God, as, God as Father hits the wall when you have a history of abuse in mm-hmm. your family. If God is that kind of dad, thanks, but no thanks. I don't want to be part of it. So I think some of our metaphors, we we have to look into that a bit. Um, (laughs) I just keep thinking about the relevance, uh, like you're talking about phrases um, and parts of the Bible that have been have been there forever and ever and churches, um, pastors will go over them every year, at least once a year. And it resonates with the older folks. Yeah. And, and then there's the, the newer people, um, I'll include myself, um, that, and, and probably, I mean, at 44 years old, I'd probably say somebody who's 34 or 24, it's like, I understand these things aren't relevant. And as a school teacher, um, which I am a public school teacher, the idea over the last five or six years is this like, uh, make a real world application within your teaching. So anything you teach, like if you're teaching math, you know, create it like it's a business model and you're running your own business kids. And so it becomes relevant. And 20 years ago or 30 years ago, when, when I was in you know school, nobody was doing that to like no. take notes, write it and remember it and then spit it out on a test. I'm like, okay, I'll do that. And it's <laughs> like, uh, and I, I was, I was bored out of my gourd, you know, in school. Yeah. Um, I mean, I loved math, but the, 
math teachers didn't do squat and English was like, oh, just shoot me. But um, because there was no relevance, but now they're trying to. So this is resonating throughout our I don't know if it's resonating throughout the world, but definitely in the United States, in every avenue, it's all about what does it mean to me? How does it apply to my life? And when you bring up, you know, you someone goes to church is 24 years old, and like you say, you, you throw out, you know, biblical teaching that's truth, and they're like, nah, it doesn't interest me. I have, yeah. It's not relevant to me. It's like, how do we capture, because I'm all in, Zach's all in. I mean, Scott's all in. I mean, we're all in, but yeah. But what about those that we're, we're wanting to run into and capture their hearts? We can't be, we can't just throw this scripture at them. It has to do with relationships and connection points and, you know, how do we get, you know, connected with people who are skydiving together. And (laughs) right. So there's something, there's something that I'm constantly trying to figure out. And that's like setting the stage. Like how do we set the stage, you know, out in the environments that we're in? How do we capture those moments? Yeah. I have no, I'm, I'm struggling with that so much. I so desire to spread the gospel and have great conversations with people, but I'm, I'm like, I'm so yearning and hungry for being a person with better questions for people. Because if you just give people the opportunity to, to be a part of the conversation, oh man, let's actually, you mentioned questions and that's kind of where, uh, life walked in the door and we, we had a little derailment there. But you were talking about Jesus having questions and, and the metaphors and the parables. Did he ever answer a question to your knowledge with just an answer, like a plain answer? This is how it is. No, it, it seemed to me, I, I mean, there was maybe once or twice uh, where it was a very direct answer, but it was always contextually kind of confusing. So there's always two layers to that. So you could read it, you or I could read it as a you know, 21st century American and say, oh, well, that was a really direct answer. But once you relocate it back in history, you go, oh, wait a minute, that wasn't quite as... So once they approach Jesus about divorce and they say, can a man divorce his wife for any reason? And he says, no, only in issues of sexual immorality. Now, that has given birth all, <laughs> all kinds of fun stuff in the church about how, well, did he sleep with somebody else? No, then you can't leave him, that whole kind of thing. Right. Uh, but once you locate it back in history, it's, it's him advocating one rabbi's teaching over another. Well, rabbis would slide and groove and juke each other constantly. So it was still, even his direct answer was still kind of a moving target. So there's, I would say there's only that or maybe one other case where Jesus answered something directly. Most of the time, his answer was geared toward creating a hundred other questions and then putting it back in the lap of the person hearing it and saying, now you do something with this. And the best example is the Good Samaritan. Not only does he not answer the question, he asks a question in return. He then tells a story which he flips the whole meaning at the end. And his answer to the question is basically, go and be that guy. 
which is not at all what the guy was asking. Right. Uh, so it, it, he went to frustrating lengths to actually just prompt and, and craft the curiosity of other people. Yeah. And sometimes they'd walk away with their tail between their legs, disappointed. Yeah, because I gotta like sell us, all my shit. Damn it! Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> like us, we we'd much rather have somebody figure it out. Yeah, and, and especially figure it out for us. Don't you know? Don't make me do the hard work. Don't make me take responsibility. Because once you once it's your question that you answer, you, it's your responsibility. Yeah, that's tough. That kind of brings us back to the the church today where you have the old guard that's used to going to church and what's most important is what you stand for. And then the newer guard is like, well, what are we doing? We're not doing anything in the world. And so they're kind of done with that old model of church. And it's like, I I don't know that that's why I think that's why we're losing those quote unquote millennials is because they're, it's very important, like authentic living and what they're doing and social justice or change or fighting for truth and justice is super important, more important than what, I don't know what they, what they claim to stand for. So that's interesting. Yeah. And it's, they're being asked to figure some things out that other generations haven't. I mean, this is the first time, this is the first time ever in the American workforce, we've had five generations represented uh, for for the most part, and so the same is true of the church. So you're you're talking about you know five generational waves of people who have been taught to view the different the world entirely differently, which for the church means you got five generational waves of people who have been taught a certain way to understand God, the Scriptures, Jesus, community, what you wear what you say, what you drink, what you smoke, what you don't. So you've got this whole spectrum. And so there's this tension now of how in the world do we maintain something? Because I don't want to reject the whole of the history of Orthodox Christian faith. I mean, there's, there is beauty and there's sacrifice and there's tremendous stuff that has happened. But I also know that they were working with a canvas that was their time, and we're we're doing the same. So, how do we creatively but faithfully um, do what you're talking about? How do we how do we how do we stoke how do we engage the hearts of people uh, and bring the gospel to them in a way that actually legitimately makes makes sense? And that's why I think Jesus was so powerful because Jesus was constantly working with vision. Uh, Dallas Willard is one of my is a writer who's been a tremendous influence to me. And he's just said some things and asked some questions that come from a completely different field of view. And one of the things he said was, you know, if there, if there had been another way for God to work in the world other than Jesus, Jesus would have been the first person to take it. Hmm. And I thought that was fascinating Wow! to say, you know, Jesus was one of the smartest people who ever walked the face of the earth. So if there was another way for God transform the, the, the whole world, Jesus would have been like, I'm going first. You guys, come on, let's do this. <laughs> because he was constantly working at the level of vision. What if, what would it be like if you, if your life could move into this spot, what would it be like for you to live without lust? And just letting that, I mean, all of his teachings sort of feeds back in it. What would it be like to live without anger? 
how would that work for your guts? How about your your prescription anti-inflammatory gut medicine? How would that work? How would that work to live without anxiety? And so those questions, those questions of vision, could you imagine a life in which you could live without that? If so, then bring your little kingdom into God's bigger kingdom and let's figure out, let's find out together and learn how to live like that. And so those questions of what if what if Jesus is really more about pitching a vision for the best life ever than he is about getting us off this rock someday because God's going to blow it to bits. There's, there's a whole different world, I think, buried in that. And it starts with asking that question. And I think that's why Jesus asked the questions he did. It reminds me kind of early on, well, actually very early on in the book, you kind of flip how Jesus used repent. Like, so instead of it looking at it as a command, looking at it as an invitation, can you expand on that a little bit? Because that was fascinating. Yeah. yeah, the looking at the teachings of Jesus, um, I, and I think that some of this is generational. It's been, if you, if I, I grew up in a church that was, it was pretty conservative fundamentalist and beautiful people, loving people, faithful people. But again, they had, they had grown up in a, in a kind of faith that said that God is very much the commandeering principle. And if you don't want to end up in his office, you do the things he said to do and don't do the things he said, don't do. And so seeing that is more, seeing teachings and commandments is more of an authoritarian kind of thing. Whereas I think about as, you know, looking at advertising, I remember in the tell a story, I was in an airplane, I was looking through the ads and there was this ad that said, come to Hawaii. And it's written in the, in the imperative, like command kind of language. (laughs) And I'm like, well, dude, you don't have to sell me on that. You just need to buy the plane ticket. Hmm. Um, but I realized, why didn't I get frustrated with that? But when, you know, somebody says, hey, stop it, like that, that irritates us. No, none of us like to be told what to do. And I realized it was because one of them was an invitation to something better. And it knew it. Like the people writing that ad were like, I don't know why we're even saying this. We should put up a picture of Hawaii and people will come because yeah. it's beautiful and it's glorious. It's like Southern California, right? Except for Anaheim. Uh, yeah, except for Anaheim, <laughs> as we all agreed as one in unison. Um, so when we see Jesus's teachings as invitation, it comes back to that idea of vision. It's that Jesus knows if you accept this invitation, you're going to find yourself in the best life you can possibly imagine. If you don't want that, I totally understand. And that's how he can let people walk away when they say, we want to follow you, but we got all this crap to do before we do that. And he's like, yeah, then you don't really want to yet. So when that time comes, come on back because you will eventually, because you won't find what you're looking for anywhere else. And so those invitations rather than commandments, invitations, and the invitation to repent is just, you've been thinking a certain way for a long, long time. And if you're honest with yourself, it has not come to the place where you thought it was going to come to. So why don't you change the way you think and actually believe God? I love that. There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Believing in God is sort of like a mental ascent to a set of empirical truths. Believing God is saying, I I believe he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And that in him, there is this meaning and purpose and beauty, spirituality and life. So think differently. Think about the world in terms of God actually being right 
and being faithful and coming through and then let everything else sort of flow into that. And that's what repentance is. It's just literally changing your mind. It's taking on the invitation that there might be something bigger than this and this is the way to it. It's good. How do we invite millennials into that? I I think one is just, gosh, this is going to sound like such a homework question, but I think it's asking better questions. Mm -hmm. And I think it's patience. I think there's a great deal of patience and we almost, we almost need to do a little bit of translation, um, generational translation. Uh, the, the folks who are leading the discussion have to speak the language of, of not only millennials, but millennials of a certain place. Like I grew up in Southern West Virginia. The millennials in Southern West Virginia are coming from a very different cultural standpoint than the millennials of, you know, Manhattan or Denver or, you know, Seattle. And so being able to speak to the questions, the faith, the life uh, questions uh, in a language that makes sense is part of it. I think the other way we invite uh, is just to, just to be able to give some testimony, some stories, some, some details of a journey that we've already taken. Those of us who are old, <laughs> further, further down the road, those old, us old wise sages in You're our right. midlife. Well, only um, one of us is uh, over 40, so. That's right, man. <laughs> it's a wonder. Is it, It's a little late for you, isn't it, to be up? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but being able to, you know, testimony is one of those things that I think is a lost art and um, so much of invitation is based on experience. Here's where I've gone. And how, how freeing is it? You know, how, how freeing is it to hear somebody else ask the same questions we've asked in our head a thousand times, but have never let them out because good God, what would happen if I let that out? And what would people think of me? And so to have somebody actually say, you know what, this is legit and your concern is valid. And I even think your concern is valid to God and, and you can trust him to bring that stuff and not, you know, not have to fear recrimination. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have said that. Yeah. It's Mm. too bad. You were so close. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't make the varsity team. Sorry. The whole thing. So good luck with hell. Um, (laughs) so there's that piece too, is that there needs to be a safety And safety comes in seeing the story of someone who's gone before and is either still in the middle of the questions and the growth and the transformation or has come through on the other side and has been able to see the value uh, of certain things. I think there's also a gentleness, too. There's a gentleness that um, I love the idea of deconstruction. And one of my my favorite uh, teachers is Richard Rohr. And he talks about the boxes and he said, there's a construction where something is built, like the core of our faith is built. And then there's a deconstruction where it all gets blasted to bits by age questions, crisis or trauma. Mm. He said, but, but too often he finds people stop there and never move into the reconstruction phase where we begin to put things back together. And it doesn't have to be a quick project. It can be slow. But I think sometimes there's also a lack of gentleness from folks in like us who are in the deconstruction, reconstruction phase and those who are still in the construction phase. 
And to know that there was a point in time where we weren't ready to hear some of the things that we're entertaining at this point, some of the things we're walking with and walking through. Um, so with millennials, especially who are either early faith or cynicism or agnosticism, there just needs to be a sense of gentleness. Like, gosh, we have to remember what it was like to not think of faith as something we wanted to protect, but as something like to be, they believe it's something to be examined. Like it's over here. Mm-hmm. Let's, look at it. Let's look at it from afar. Cause to get too close, we might become like those people. And I'm not quite sure we want that yet. Yeah. That and no eye contact, right? Is that your experience? Don't look a millennial straight in the eye. <laughs> don't look. <laughs> Are you serious? I don't know. I'm looking for answers <laughs> no, here, just like you. No, man, don't be don't be vague about that. We need to know if that's a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I I've don't got know. like millennials in my office. I've got to make sure that if I don't, if I can't look them in the eye, I got to start practicing that like tomorrow. Yeah. I think I think you're on to something though. It's and also the honesty, just being real, because I think people more and more are on guard towards over spiritualizing language or or using using kind of Christianese to cover up what you're actually saying, or which ends up coming off as passive aggressive or not actually saying what where you're actually coming from personally. So I think honesty goes a long way with. Uh, with those younger youngsters. <laughs> why do you, why do you think that is though? Because it, what, what is it that causes that to have so much value? Wait, Zach, what did you say? I was what? thinking about something. Oh, and then, honesty and yeah. just being like really honest and not, I think because Christians have their own language and there's certain, there's certain words in Christianese that, they're concepts that I don't know if there's a way to try to describe them without kind of sounding off and different to somebody who's maybe skeptical. So I get that there's sometimes necessary, it's a necessary evil sometimes, but I think millennials see through when you're, if you're just using kind of high sounding Christian language to describe yourself or your, your walk or whatever, I I think they see through, they know when you're not actually telling the truth. Okay, so I was thinking, well, I was talking with someone uh, recently. He was talking about that millennials don't like corporate, so Mm. the structure of things. But I'm thinking there's probably 40 million millennials and, you know, probably off by a little bit, but it really doesn't matter. The So family failed um, in many regards to the 40, 40 million millennials that are out there in, in that the structure was gone. The ego was high in the, in parents. And there was a brokenness that became repetitive. Um, I just got to thinking about how, how high the divorce rate is. And I'm like, yeah, because the people who get divorced, keep getting divorced. They keep getting married and getting divorced. So, you know, one person is, is actually representative of like four marriages that got divorced. And I'm thinking the people, and they don't deal with it at all. They just skim over it. It's, it's not important. I'm important. And the, the kids, the millennials now, look back and there's really no meaning to anything. And so that corporate, so I'm connecting that corporate thing. Like, no, don't throw that at me. 
That's how my parents were. And they're broken. Um, so I don't want any part of that. And so you, you then have these, this huge generation, a massive amount of people that we're trying to like go out and connect with. And we need to use a different strategy, different language. Um, and it's, uh, it's a challenge because no, they're like, they don't like structure and they, they like, they like freedom. Um, and if you tell them they got to be tied down, then how do you, how do you navigate bringing someone into a life of Christ when you're like, you have, guess what? It takes commitment. You actually have to die. You have to dive in. And I just, yeah. I just read something from a, a, a millennial who, um, he, he asked his longtime girlfriend to, to marry him. And he's 20 something and he's a part of a, a, a music, a music group. You know who I'm talking about? Zach chance, mm. chance, chance Moreno. Chance. Chance the rapper? Yeah. Oh. Anyway, he he <laughs> he he asked. He asked you know to he asked her to marry him and but then he had a little thing yesterday online. I think it was Instagram or Facebook or something like that and he talked about how his generation doesn't commit to anything. And they don't want to commit to anything and then they find nothingness at the end of every single one of their endeavors. And and it's, it's time to commit. And so I'm like, how do I get that guy? How does God to get that guy to go out and just connect with so many people in his generation? Sorry. Is there was, a question in there for that was Casey? My, that was my, that was my, that was my <laughs> Do you have any thoughts box. on that, Casey? No, becoming, be, yeah, we're, we're constantly beating, a, we have no idea how to, how to, take care of the hearts of this generation of 40 million adults that don't seem to care what we, what anybody outside of their generation cares for. It used to be like you mentioned, it was, you believe you're, you're doing right or you're doing wrong. And now it's like, do whatever. And, Oh, I hear you're a part of that group. That's fantastic. And it's like, (laughs) you gotta be kidding me. This is like, I'm right back to square one. Scott doesn't have any answers here. Zach doesn't have any answers. I don't have any answers. We we're, I'm like, I'm seriously, as your book says, I'm, I'm beyond curious. You're becoming curious, but I'm like beyond curious. Like <laughs> what in the heck can I do a longitudinal study on these kids? I want to go back when they were 16 and like travel 10, 12 years with these, with these people and go, what in the heck happened? Well, let's see uh, if Casey has anything to add. To I want to go on and no, I'm done. <laughs> It's so good. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it begins with really identifying what the hunger might be underneath all that. And that's going to require, I think what I'm seeing is it's, it's going to require Christians to think with a different set of lenses than just the Bible. The Bible is, or scripture or orthodox Christian theology. I think those things, those things have to be 
some kind of framework has to be there, an understanding of God, salvation, sin, uh, the implications of that, and what salvation looks like. I think that all has to be there. But so, one of the th- so it, uh, so it has to it. be like there's a kids book that it's like oh look there's the lion and the lamb playing like it's a it's a pretty book for kids. <laughs> so we have to have, you say we have to have a book like a translated book for millennials, yeah. a so Bible to, for millennials, the millennial yeah, we study need to Bible. Do the- Millennial Study Bible, and uh, there's your you know, next gonna, book, Casey. It's like 12 pages long, and it's just like <laughs> it has emojis. <laughs> it's not going to take too. It's not going to consume too much of your time. We just want you guys to, you know, we don't want to overburden you because we're you're busy, but we also uh, we also want you to get these little snippets of. We're going to take the whole Bible and boil each verse, each book down into 140 characters. So it's going to be fine. It's going to be great. You can tweet it. Now you're speaking their language. That's I'm right. sorry, I totally cut you off. Actually, there's an idea there that is a good bathroom book. I think like a satirical, in a kind of like Christian satire. Yes. Yes, I'm so surprised nobody's done that yet. No. Ugh. But there's a but there's also a sense of um one of the things that was really helpful for me and is helpful in another another book I'm writing right now is how how much insight there is from human development psychology to understanding the human person. And I think what you landed on what you said about parents was really important because the concept of family is what and I'm just spitballing this, and I don't, it's off the top of my head, but I think it might be right. I think the concept of the dislocated family is what is causing a lot of this. Because there's some psychology and human developer research that says most kids are confident and aggressive, not aggressive, but outgoing if they know they have a safe place mm-hmm. at home. And so, why would you why would you commit to anything if number one you've seen the the only commitment that really has been front and center for you fall apart multiple times but also that has destabilized your ability to think of commitments as even faith like again we come back to that whole idea of if god is father and i watch my dad ah i don't want i don't want to be a part of that and so I think redeeming some of the metaphors, the idea of a family that, you know, as Romans says, we are adopted sons and daughters, and coming back to that as a conversation for millennials and saying, I think the hunger is you're looking for a family that's not as dysfunctional as yours. Now, that also puts the impetus on people of faith to say, yeah, you've got to not be a jacked up family. You can be an imperfect family. You can be a flawed family, but you can't you can't keep eating your young. This is this is not going to work. And so I, I think redeeming that that idea of family is probably part of what turns that conversation for that particular generation a vision of a family. Being part of a community of faith is not being an isolated, you know, an isolated soul that's one day going to get transported to some post-mortem bliss. It's being a part of a gritty, accountable, compassionate, flawed group of people who will who bleed for you if you need them to. And that's the that's the image we see in Jesus is, you know, if you love people, you die for your family. And I think redeeming that imagery could be 
maybe that's the thing that restarts that conversation. I have no idea. Maybe it is the Twitter Bible. It could be that too. Maybe it's both. <laughs> yeah. But I think that for me, that's an image that stands out from what you were saying. And in, in looking at the millennials in my own life, there is a lot of that. Like the doubt begins at home and the structure that should have been the scaffold to support development just doesn't seem to doesn't seem to be there. And so if the church can begin to understand how to be family again. Mm. Yeah. And you see that too in the migration of a lot of millennials away from mega churches into smaller communities. Why is that? Well, because you can actually get to know somebody. Or a vast majority still staying in mega churches because I don't want to get to know anybody. Mm. And I can show up and leave and get good coffee and great music and not have to really do anything. Free breath mints. Free breath mints. <laughs> of the gospel testaments 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 (laughs) scott the first time scott speaks and it's a winner no we want to be known we want to be known and we got a lot of people who nobody nobody even took the time just to be let someone be heard and i think you're right Uh, facilitating family is a that's a marathon not a sprint and so Mm -hmm. i think Part of it is just keeping people close enough to develop the depth of relationships. But there's probably a teaching bit to it, too. How often do we talk about the church as family um, and in a way that's healthy instead of God's your dad, so shut up and do it? That's, that's mm-hmm. not healthy. Um, not only because it's not what God intended. I mean, there was a, a covenant, a love thing, not a contract thing. And so I, I think there's something different going on there. But um, I don't know that we're, we're doing a great job of it yet, but there's definitely an awareness that there's a different kind of conversation that needs to be had. And so where does that begin and who starts it? And how does Jesus inspire us in that conversation? It's definitely there. So I don't have a good answer for that, but do you, do you, um, I guess disciple in a way, or at least, um, have conversations with, with people who are, are older that are wiser and, and are you seeing conversations, you know, after service where you have the, the, the 60 year old or the 50 year old talking to the 30 year old in a good, like, Hey, how's it going? That's, Oh, good. That's great. Good. You're got a job. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And then the conversation's over. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking like real life, like almost fathers within church that take on that family role within the church. Do you see that happening? I, it, most of it is, is happenstance and it's mm. happening along the way. One of the other things that's interesting about us is, um, Midwestern communities are largely, um, static. So there's not a lot of transients. So there are not a ton of millennials who are moving into our city. Mm from another place. A lot of them either grew up there or grew up nearby. And so there's a lot of connection that's already there. Okay. So whether it's their family, their parents go to church at the same church or their principal, there's a situation, there's a guy in our, our church who coached football and there are some of our, some of our folks who played football for him. And so there's a connection point there between generations that's 
that doesn't have to be facilitated. It's already there. And so we're seeing a lot of that. So it's hard to define whether is that discipleship or is that just, I already knew coach so-and-so from high school. Mm. Um, but I would say, I don't know that we're seeing enough of it. And I do, I do believe that at least philosophically, I, I do believe that multi-generational conversation is critical because again, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about testimony, about story. Like we need the, we need the wise, we need the wise sages who have screwed up enough times to tell us the difference. Um, and I think that's, that bears out in research about millennials. They seek out older generations because there's a value, like they value their grandparents' wisdom more than their parents. There's some obvious relational reasons for that, but I think there's also a, an understanding of this is a person who's lived and has lived a long time and has experienced a ton more than me. And so I'd, I'd really like to know, really like to know what that's all about. So with your book, with when you wrote Becoming Curious, did, was any, I mean, it was any of it um, wrapped up in just the challenges? The, I mean, I've only read a little bit, but what was, is any of it wrapped up in the challenges that we're dealing with? Was there a specific trigger point? Yeah. I think you said 38 years old. Yeah. So a couple years ago. Yeah. Or not quite. You're not 40 yet. <laughs> Get, getting there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been, it was 38. I started writing the book, uh, in this, about the summer of 15. So yeah, 38. And, um, you know, a lot of it had to do more with a role as a pastor and also as a spiritual director. Um, I was spiritual direction is, is really the work of asking and listening. Uh, my role isn't to give people advice and spiritual direction has sort of exploded in the last five, 10, 15 years, especially it's moved from being specifically a Roman Catholic kind of practice in ministry and is beginning to move into Protestant mainline and even evangelical churches. Because I think what people are opening up to is the hunger to listen to God and hear from God Mm. and have this direct experience of God. But a lot of that just comes from having a person like a director like me sit down and just listen to somebody recount something that's going on in their life and just continue to ask open-ended questions. And so that was something I was already doing. And then just being in the pastoral role and people coming up to me and saying, you know, answer, I just need this question answered. And then I'd answer it in the way that I was trained to. But then you'd look in their eyes and you'd go, that didn't do it, did it? Yeah. Like, that didn't help you. Like, you're you're okay. And they, they kind of walk away going, oh, that's good. But you can tell. Like, <laughs> yeah. That didn't quite. But then, then I found, okay, what if I just took this stuff I'm doing in spiritual direction? When somebody comes and says, why didn't God heal my son? What if we just asked another couple of sets of questions? Well, first of all, the best thing we can do right there is just to sit with. Yeah. Don't, don't try to manufacture some sort of heroic biblical wisdom because you're, you're, it's a fool's errand. Yeah. So yeah. just be present. But also ask some other questions. What are you sensing about God right now in the middle of all this? What are you feeling in the middle of this? And just give people a chance to just, just to ask some more things. I don't know what I'm feeling. 
why would you ask me that? Well, why not? Hmm. You know, what's your experience of God been up to this point? How has he helped you through times like this? And just continue to ask. So what I found was asking the questions was way more fruitful than giving them something that they could call certainty. And it was a faith and a life-giving kind of thing. So that's really the genesis, a lot of the genesis of the book. And yeah. that just, and I just am a, a person who believes that, you know, a real spirituality is incredibly honest and honors emotions and thoughts as they come. It doesn't correct them. It doesn't shoot all over them um, because there's nothing, there's nothing helpful in that. That's good. Did you write something down, Jeff? I'm taking notes <laughs> for your own self. I'm like, so tomorrow I will be. <laughs> Casey said, <laughs> I'm going to talk to my wife. I'm like, so I think we should really be present. <laughs> you don't like it. You can tweet at Casey. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm, um, I'm literally running along with my wife and another couple, our first ever marriage retreat at our church. And so oh, I'm wow. literally in constant note taking, listening mode. Like I've been in it for six months and we've got two months until, you know, it happens. And so it's, we're just in a, every, every great word, phrase, anything that clicks, any time it's like spirit led, like that's it. Like I was here for a reason and that is actually has to be important. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Um, what I am finding about this, it's funny you'd say that. What I am finding about this whole discussion of curiosity is if you don't have a substantial belief and, and leaning into the Holy Spirit, it's going to be a dumpster fire uh, because there's a lot that you, you have to trust to God to be able to teach you in the moment. And Jesus saying, you know, my spirit's going to be with you and he's going to remind you of everything I've told you. And he's also going to teach you. So there's old stuff you need to remember, but there's new stuff, new ground we haven't broken yet. And marriage is one of those places, man, where my wife and I have been married for 17 years, and there are still times when I have to remind myself to stop and ask why you're about to say what you're about to say, or why you're thinking, why you're, why you're thinking about responding to her in the way that you're thinking of responding. Because you should know this, but you don't. You should know where that's coming from and why that's important. And you should also know, I mean, you should know your Enneagram number. And you know that part of this is you thinking that you're a special snowflake and that every feeling <laughs> you've ever had is the most unique feeling anybody's ever had ever. And that's why you're, you're responding emotionally because that's who you are. I do that and every so, day, Casey. Oh, man. Are you kidding? I'm um, a special you, snowflake. I'm a 39. Almost, you're no. almost becoming, you're like a curious snake eating a curious, its own curious tail. It becoming is. curious on why you're going to be asking questions to your wife. That's oh, awesome. What it's number a, are you? I'm a four. A four. Remind me, what's yeah. a four? Four is the creative type. And then I have a five, what's a five wing. And so it's that intellectual turn inward and go read a book and figure it out type. Yeah. But when I'm stressed, I go to one. So one is the perfectionist. And that's just a bad day. Yeah. That is a bad day. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't have them memorized as much as I probably want to. I know I'm a nine. At least every time I take it, nine is, is there the, the peacemaker. And I think four is kind of, uh, you know, fairly close second. 
it's amazing to me how how sexy the Enneagram is right now. Oh, I mean, it's... Book after book and conversation after conversation. And I get it. It, it, w- it came in my life in a really critical time. And I understand, I understand a ton more about some of the things I've done now than I, more than I did before because of that. But like any personality thing, there is the, there is the real strong temptation to sort of make it a cottage industry and, mm-hmm. you know, collect it and make it a, make it a determining thing. And really it's just a reference point to jump off of. Right. So. Crazy conversation. Yeah. But you're right. I think, uh, Enneagram has got a great publicist. You should, uh, look into their services probably. <laughs> <laughs> what cracks me up about it is it's, it's like, it's the least governed personality inventory in existence today. It has no copyrights. There's nobody who owns the, like you could have like Bob's Enneagram on the web, on the internet that people could come and take it and get their types and nobody owns it. And so it's this, it's the most wiki open source ancient tool ever. Yeah. There's like, no wonder it's so sexy. Look what it is. It's like, it's old Greek stuff. It's new preoccupation with personality and inventories and it, it creates great discussions. I'm a four. I'm a five. Hey, we should <laughs> hang out. Fives are you need to work deal that with into them. your work that into your marriage counseling. Fives man. Are, fives I'm are a nine bad. subset AB forty two. So, <laughs> oh yeah, we should create like subsidiaries of the Enneagram numbers. They can't stop us. No, they can't. That's like 1,025 actual Enneagram tests. I'm, Mr. Ha- I'm making that up, but it's like an Enneagram. You do whatever you want. Yeah. No, guys, I think, I, think you're, I think you're barking up the wrong tree. The business model for something that already exists is to make accessories that go with it. Mm. So you need to make like the, the four T-shirt or the seven yes. ball cap or the yes. one beer koozie that doesn't allow anything to spill over the sides because the perfectionists will go ballistic. Yep. Just need to like, <laughs> need to do the accessorizing, be the, you know, be the Spencer gifts of the Enneagram. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's oh, great. I, I just I saw a, our minds uh, are going places that they shouldn't go. I see. <laughs> <laughs> I, I first I saw a kid's T-shirt today, and it had it looked like the Atari, like a part of the Atari symbol, like in television Atari. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh! And I looked it up, and then there was Atari T-shirts. I'm like, you're mentioning that, and today I was thinking about, all, I'm gonna order an Atari T-shirt. <laughs> like I'm gonna wear an Atari T-shirt. That would be amazing. And I think I'm a four. I'm a nine. Oh yeah. I haven't seen it yet. Okay. Well, first of all, we need to delete Casey's recording right now or else he's got some <laughs> rights to it, I'm sure. <laughs> but kiss Scott, me, you know, Scott, you need to get out of here or something kiss like that. Four, you know? nice. <laughs> hey, awesome. be careful. I'm a one. Yeah, that's right. And I need things done a specific way. <laughs> that's right. Don't move my pencils. I'm a one. <laughs> Hello, I'm your wife, and I'm a one. <laughs> you All tell right. me that you... sounded a little too personal, there, Jeff. Yeah, my wife is home. partial one. <laughs> you tell me so... where we're eating. I'm a nine. <laughs> That's right. I'm okay if you're okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think we're probably coming up on time, but uh, I did have one last question, but. 
you mentioned the book that you're working on now. That's that sounds interesting. Like why people is it like why people behave the way they do mixed with faith and it's actually um it's actually way more specific. I, I'm I'm dealing with how memories work in our spiritual lives. Um, oh, that's good. Because, yeah, it just struck. It just was something that that stuck with me. I'm glad you. I'm glad it resonates with you too. Because I want to delete some of my memories. So yeah. I get it. I get it. We want to go back and edit, and yet if you did, there's a great. I don't know if you guys read a lot of novels, but there's a great Stephen King novel called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. That was made into a show, right? Yeah. Was that the Hulu? show's actually? The show's actually decent. Yeah, it's pretty new. Um, but the novel is fantastic. And it's just basically about a guy who finds a wormhole that goes back to the sixties to 1960. And he is asked by a friend with cancer to go back and stop the Kennedy assassination. And he says, if you do that, if Kennedy doesn't die, there's no Vietnam and the world will be an infinitely better place. And so, I mean, I'm not going to, I'll spoil it for you, but you kind of see where this is going. He goes back and stops it. And it turns out the whole world just falls apart. And so yeah. it's interesting to think, as traumatic as some of our memories are, is the goodness of the present predicated on some of the darkness of the past? Mm-hmm. That's and a tweet how, right there. Yeah, should, I should write that down. Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that raises a whole, a whole line of question. Why do, why do we think that what we have now is better, worse, or same uh, as, as it would be if events in the past were, were, to, were to change. We, we don't know. We don't know yeah. if they would be better if World War I didn't happen. Like, I, we, we just have no idea. We know it would be different, and, yeah. Yeah. and different at this perspective seems better, but different may not be better. And not to mention the fact that all Scripture is memory. The whole Bible is someone remembering something that happened and recounting it. And so our sacred texts are us living into the memories of someone else. And there's a darkness. I mean, the book of Exodus constantly says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And every time God says that, it doesn't just mean, you know, get it, get in line. It evokes this whole bigger story and this tremendous history and it forms a people, like it creates who they are. And bringing them out of Egypt is both freedom from slavery and the death of every firstborn Egyptian child. And that is a bleak and beautiful picture all at the same time. So, so how do we, how does God take our memories and use them to shape us into the beautiful people that he's made us to be? And so that's the content of the book. It's just walking through Exodus, Deuteronomy the Psalms, uh, the Gospels, and Revelation, and talking about here are these great pillars of Scripture, and they're all built on this certain story that people are remembering, and how does that interface with our own? Well, yeah, and, and the people in, um, in the wilderness, the, Israel, you know, the Israelites in the wilderness, they, uh, they're looking at their present situation, and they start saying, Hey, let's go back to Egypt. It was better back there. We were fed. We had a place to, you know, place to live. Um, and they, they, they wanted to go back. They, they, they looked at their memories and their present situation and they thought it's better to go back. But 
looking instead of looking forward to what God had promised, right? The promised land. And, um, there's, there's a whole, whole line there as well. Yeah. Absolutely, man. That's, yeah, that's huge. So, um, so taken back to conversations I've had with people where they're like, cause my, my life, my marriage and everything is, I mean, the first seven years and, and a year before, um, I married my wife is just, it's a, as a, it's a train wreck, um, in, in the worst way. I, mean, I think I described it a, he what described it? it once as yeah. a train <laughs> crashing down from the Empire State, State Building, building yeah. with shrapnel everywhere. I think I it was on fire, too. <laughs> <laughs> he did that with a straight face, and and it took us like stopping him. You, do you realize what you just said? <laughs> but it's just building building the biggest metaphor possible. But people, yeah. but but friends have asked me. No, you can't have any beer. Oh, man. Don't you wish, because all those memories, don't you wish you could have, you know, done it a better way? And I just stop in my tracks and I'm like, no way. I'm not a believer if if all of that hasn't happened. Um, Isn't that a Richard Rohr book, (laughs) Everything Belongs? I haven't read that one. But I know enough about him to where it's like, it's all part of this big beautiful sometimes painful picture yeah and it doesn't mean i mean i think the wrong assumption we make there is that you have to love it yeah right Mm -hmm. you don't have to love it but you can't exclude it because it's the same as the good stuff um it's it's there for a reason and it's something that's in you they actually have revealed some research that dna in human beings can act like the rings in a tree And so if there is significant enough trauma in a parent, it can actually be genetically passed to a child to where it actually makes a mark in their genetic code Mm. and you carry that. And so you hear that. So this is where I, this is where I just geek out on this kind of stuff. You hear that and you listen to Deuteronomy and the old Testament say, and I'll visit the sins of one generation onto the next and the next and the next. And you go, wait a minute. Maybe that's not God actively punishing. Maybe it's him saying, I get, I get, I'm going to watch this. Cause that word visit can also mean to oversee or to witness. I can watch this stuff, mark a generation to a generation. And what if it's actually genetic? Mm. So the yeah, there are a lot of implication with that. A lot of, yeah, a lot of, um, where when he wipes out, you know, whole people groups that, that, um, one of the, one of the theories is that, and w- because of what we know now, like you just said about the genetic code, that that of course it, this goes into a whole thing of did he actually command wiping out the kids and women and the children? Don't but, open cans of worms. You no, know, but but uh, but 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 that, but it, but what you just said plays into that as well because if that genetic trait has been passed down, um, then there's there may be justification for that. But but yeah, like um. Uh, be, because he promises later on that he won't that that the sins of the parents won't be meted out to to the to the offspring. Uh, so that yeah, there are a lot of, but yeah, you're right, Zach. Uh, I, I don't want to open a can 
mornings. Go ahead. <laughs> you do, and I do too, but we won't. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I have a, you know, one of our, one of our children, one of my four kids, uh, came into the world when we were at our, our worst, you know, and, and she is just our most angry child, but it, it's not, it's not a, it's not a bad thing. Like God takes it. And you have to believe that God takes it and and uses it in such an amazing way, teaches us parents patience and to love when sometimes our kids, I mean, it's a terrible thing to say, but when sometimes when they seem unlovable, like, oh my gosh, you're driving me crazy. But all that, all the, all the bad, it only sets up how great things can be because you have the reference point of the bad and the ugly and the misery um, and the, and the death. And it just, it makes so much of the love and the life of what we've been left here. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. That's so good. That's a beautiful thing. Becoming curious. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what's the best way? Give it give your credentials. How are people going to get in touch with you? Uh, you can do the web thing. Uh, it's my name Casey, C A S E Y, Tigret, T Y G R E T T .com. Um, there's a I blog there. There's a trailer for the book and ways you can pick up the book. There's also some speaking dates and things like that. Uh, or I'm a Twitterer at C K T Y G R E T T at C K Tigret. Uh, also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, would love to, would love to connect. Would love to help, uh, facilitate conversations around questions. And, um, if you ever find yourself in Illinois, find yourself my way. Be yeah. good. Are you, are you in rural, 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 <laughs> Illinois? <laughs> That was really good. That was a good impersonation of Scott, our half Japanese what, what, what part of Southern California. I didn't catch that part. Uh, I'm in uh, Rockford, so just about 15 minutes south of Wisconsin. Is there a title to? Do you have a title of what's going to be your new book? Or are you just getting started? No, um, actually, just uh, contract. I don't have a release date yet, but the the working title is As I Recall how God uses our memories to shape our spirits. Awesome. Well, if you would, we would love to have you back on and talk about that when it gets closer. Yeah. Be awesome. You guys. Thanks for for reaching out too. I think you, I followed you on Twitter or vice versa. And then I think you just reached out and said, Hey, if this sounds interesting to you, let's do it. Yeah. As soon as I saw the title becoming curious, I was like, "Mm, we're in. That's (laughs) awesome. That's great, man. I appreciate you honoring the conversation and spending some time tonight talking through things. That's really cool. Yeah. Oh, one last question. So you're, you're dead and you're going into heaven. (laughs) St. Peter's on the PA and, (laughs) and he's announcing your presence. You're walking in towards the heavenly ring. What is your walk in music? Oh, I'm so troubled. There's a PA in heaven. I figured they would figure that out. Uh, Walking music. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Dan. Uh, wait, so Dan, this Dan, is this Dan. all time? Don't, or is don't, don't bias. Don't bias. What? 
is this all time or is this currently? This is just stream of consciousness. You're free to change your mind later on, but our listeners will never know it. Uh, I would say, I would say probably blind boys of Alabama. I shall not walk alone. Now is that all time or currently? No, uh, that's that's probably all time. I definitely want that played in my funeral. So it's sort of like a dual purpose. Oh, nice. You know, anything you can play anything from Iron and Wine's catalog. I think I'll be fine. Okay. What about currently? Yeah. Currently, what's in heavy rotation? <sighs> heavy rotation. Uh, the brilliance. Oh yeah, the yeah. Brilliance. The song "Brother." Yes, that was great. My kids and yeah. I love that song. I, you know, there's some, some Kendrick Lamar in rotation right now, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not going to fly. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> no, no, no. So you definitely didn't mention Kendrick Lamar. Noted. Not at all. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> definitely not going into heaven. No, no, no young Jeezy. So what was no, the, it was blind Jeezy. boys of Alabama. What was the song? I shall not walk alone. Okay. Oh my gosh. It's the first one that pops up. It's good. Awesome. Too. All right. Well, thanks so much for your time. <laughs> Yeah, appreciate thanks, it, man. Really appreciate, appreciate you it. Guys. Yeah. Great. You. All right. We'll stay in touch. All right. Be well. All yeah. right. You too. Thanks. thanks. You too. Jeff, you better be playing. Oh, you, oh, you just stopped we're, the recording. We're recording. Okay. That's enough. I don't want to get sued. Oh, really? <laughs> we have dozens upon dozens now. Literally. Yes. Literally dozens. Well, Casey went above and beyond. That was a long interview, but it, it didn't feel long. I was just looking at the clock and I'm like, wow, usually people don't give over an hour and we didn't even talk about time and he didn't even complain. Uh, there's Anyways. a gravitational force. Guys, how did you do without me? How was that first um, 45 minutes? I will say this. It wasn't the same. <coughs> I agree. Welcome back, Scott. Wait, what? It wasn't the same, as if. Are you dead? Wait, wait, that could that wait that could go either way. Now that I think it about it, could go the no. It's yeah. actually factually correct. You cannot actually argue. It was not the same as if. Yeah, but I'm I'm now wondering because there were three humans in this room. I'm now wondering though. Um, what do you mean by that, Crater? Are you? I'm clarifying. Let's clarify. I'm clarifying. Yeah. Are you, are you done? Are you curious? I are wish you, you were here. Curious, I guy? was. You know, I am curious. I, okay, so Casey, I apologize. I was not able to read the book. I had no, some I, I personal told him issues. That you, were, you were late going and, on, and um, you know, oh, personal issues. Yeah, I had personal issues. What? Like, like, so actually, this time I have an excuse for for not doing something I was supposed to do because I was doing other things. I, yeah. So sell, you know, selling the house and blah, blah yada yada yada. Just making a killing on the Orange County housing market. <laughs> yeah, totally. South of C. Um, but no, I, I, I wanted to read it, but, um, I didn't, but I am curious based on what he said, but you do have the book. I do have it. Um, and I want to read it and I want to email him on some things. Um, cause uh, some sound good and some I want clarification on. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, you know you bet. <laughs> so maybe uh, write that write that shit down and uh Yeah. Actually, I just got a text from him. I wanted to kind of yeah, go ahead. He said thank you. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, love talking with you. Yeah. And that's it. That's lame. Said some other things I can't share. Like a private message. This is a private thing. All right, we gotta get out of here. You know, he did say he we did gotta s- go press the flesh with other men. We do home group. Oh, house. oh gosh, dude! I have four kids at home. And is he gonna have food? Gone. Is he gonna have food there? It's on the way to your house. Probably. Let's go. I'm a terrible well, father. Well, when it, wait, I do. I would. I do want to call him out on something. Okay. He did say, Twitter. He he did say he's a Twitterer. I don't think that's quite correct. Ask. Can you oh, text him? Can you ask, I'm text so him and, and ask him if Scott, he wants correction talk, on that as we well? We talk about the uh, old rule of judgmental people. So thanks, Scott. No, he did talk about that. We can end this. What, what, what was the? Um, what was the? Uh, no, I'm saying you're sticking him on the saying Twitterer. Yeah, but where did you talk about old old men of judgment? What is that? You're being. You oh, I'm doing no it now. Scott, I'm doing it now. There's no grace being passed on here. You brought it up. What is the heck is old men of of judgment passing band down? Band he's forming. <laughs> old men of judgment passing passing down is the first album title. O M O J. Come on, let's do some twittering. I'm With a twitterer. We'll edit that out. How dare you judge me for judging people, Jeff? Scott, will you say grace, peace, cheers to sign off? Grace, peace, and you should be loved. Wish, hopefully you find somebody to do that. Folks, everybody out there, grace, peace, cheers. We love you. I'm 52, I'm a gym teacher, gym teacher, I'm a gym teacher.